the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, that leads us to a second question. Second question that helps us to understand about Christ's words here about salt. First question is, what does it mean to be the salt of the earth? It means that by being a beatitude type uh, individual, that you have a hand in preserving the moral decay around you. But the second question that we need to ask is, what is the danger of salt becoming tasteless? What is the danger of salt becoming tasteless? Now, listen very closely. This is important. I think that for many, if not most of us, one of the worst insults we could suffer is to be called useless. And one of our worst fears is to actually become useless. We all want to have a purpose. So even though we have the assurance that our eternity is secure, to become useless to God, that's a serious matter indeed. Welcome to Verse by Verse, a radio Bible study led by Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. In our last broadcast, Pastor Steve began this first sermon in his series of messages about the Sermon on the Mount. After the Beatitudes, Jesus said that we are the salt of the earth. There are several things that pop into our modern-day brains about uses for salt, but what would Jesus have meant by that term? Pastor Steve demonstrated that the main use for salt until relatively recently was to keep meat from rotting since they didn't have refrigeration. So here's Pastor Steve now to share how that works in a spiritual sense. So if Jesus used the metaphor of salt as a preservative from decay, question is then, then what did he mean when he called us the salt of the earth? Very simply put, he meant this. He meant that our presence in the world serves as a preserving force that keeps society from decaying as rapidly as it might if we were not here. That's, that's exactly what this means. Now, let me explain. The Bible teaches, and it is consistent in its teaching, that the world we live in is a fallen world. It is a sinful and morally polluted world. It has a propensity, a tendency, a natural bent to decay like rotten, rotten fish or rotten meat. That's what Scripture teaches from cover to cover. Though God created the earth perfect, when Adam sinned, decay set in. Everything's breaking down. Everything's going backwards. It's a downward spiral. Everything is, is rotten and it's, and it's rotting even more and more. You see the evidence of this. We're not talking about just individually, although that's true, but in society and culture. You see the evidence of this in the early chapters of Genesis. Organized rebellion to him. You see a society bent on, this, on, on rebelling against God and, and therefore the putrefying effects of sin. And so God in Genesis 6-5 looks at society, looks at the earth, and he destroys them with a, with a universal flood. It says in Genesis 6-5, then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth, that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. God sent a flood and he destroyed the world and I take it that based on, on what Genesis tells us, that the only believers on the entire planet would be Noah and his small family. That's how bad it got. But after God destroyed the world, did man improve? Absolutely not. 
Absolutely not. Man didn't improve at all. He continued his downward moral slide. And therefore, you read about the organized rebellion of idolatry found in the Tower of Babel. That was idolatry. That was organized idolatry. You also read about the sexual perversion of an entire culture found in Sodom and Gomorrah. You see, a true, folks, a true biblical worldview reveals that our world is not improving. It's decaying. We're not optimistic about the world. We're not. You shouldn't be. You may be very optimistic about Christ's power and his sovereignty in accomplishing his will, but don't be optimistic about the world. Paul wasn't. The Apostle Paul summed up the downward spiral of the world when he wrote to Timothy in in the New Testament. I want to read this to you. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Now, this this answers the question that people have when you, when you read about atrocities going on and you hear about it in the media and you go, what's happening in our world? This is what's happening. Paul says in verse 1 of chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. The last days are the days beginning with the first coming of Christ. We're in the last days. Now, we may be in the last of the last days, but the last days have come upon us. Realize this, in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these. What Paul is saying is the world, outwardly religious, but inwardly wicked. Inwardly wicked. Because their their nature has never been changed. They may give lip service to religion. All the pomp and circumstance going on in, in Rome today, it's all lip service. No transformation by grace. No righteousness applied by faith. Paul says this is the world that we live in, a world that is rotten, made up of rotten people who are sinful, who if left to themselves will do whatever they want to do. And Paul sums it up in verse 13 when he says, but evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. That's, that's our world. That's an accurate communication of the world that we live in. Now, someone may say, legitimately may say, but wait a minute, what about all the inventions, the scientific breakthroughs which have improved our quality of life? That's a legitimate question to ask. So what is the answer to that? Well, here's how John MacArthur in his commentary on Matthew addressed that question. He writes, any person who knows the history of mankind, even the history of the past 100 years, and thinks that man is evolving upward is deceived and being deceived, as Paul said. Man has increased in scientific, medical, historical, educational, psychological, and technological knowledge to an astounding degree. But he has not changed his own basic nature, and he has not improved society. Man's knowledge has progressively degenerated. His confidence has increased, but his peace of mind has diminished. His accomplishments have increased, but his sense of purpose and meaning have all but disappeared. Instead of, and watch, listen to this. Instead of improving the moral and spiritual quality of his life, man's discoveries and accomplishments have simply provided ways for him to express 
and promote his depravity faster and more destructively. Modern man, he writes, has simply invented more ways to corrupt and destroy himself. That is a brilliant statement and a brilliant and accurate portrayal of our culture. Our society, as far as creature comforts, have been enhanced, but we're using all that we've invented, all that we've invented to promote our depravity a lot faster than we would ordinarily have in years past. So in light of the fact that our world is naturally bent towards moral decay, then how can we function in society as salt so that we help to combat and curb and slow down this process of, of deterioration? Well, contrary to what many American evangelicals think, what you may think, it is not by political activism. Although that's what you'll hear on the radio, you'll get letters, fundraising letters telling you that is salt and light, this is what we have to do. But that's not at all what Jesus was talking about. Not at all. It's not what any of the people listening to him would have concluded. In fact, they couldn't be involved in the politics of their world. So this can't be what he's talking about. It's not by using our collective clout to get conservative politicians elected to office or by organizing mass boycotts and protests. Now, there's certainly nothing wrong with individual Christians getting involved in politics, if that's where God leads them, or being involved in a law-abiding march against some injustice, if that's how God leads you. But there is nothing in Christ's statement here about salt or with light that even hints of a suggestion that the church's mission is to slow down moral decay in society by wielding our influence through political or legislative clout. There's, there's nothing at all that Jesus was referring to about that. So dismiss that, that American evangelical view. Then the question is, how are we to function? How, how did Christ mean that we should function? How would his disciples have taken it? Well, I want you to notice Jesus made no commands in his statement about salt. There are no commands here. He didn't say, in light of the fact that you're salt, then, then go organize this protest. In light of the fact that you're salt, then go write this editorial. It's not what he said. He made no commands. He just said, you're the salt of the earth. So what he's saying is this, the way to influence your world by restraining sin and moral decay is by being everything I just said you were in the Beatitudes. In other words, be a beatitude-type person. Be humble, be merciful, pursue peace, be pure in, in your heart, hunger and thirst after righteousness, and even be persecuted for the sake of righteousness and rejoice. And it's in living out these virtues among sinful people that you'll help to curb their sinful tendencies. See, what our Lord is teaching is that Christians who exhibit Beatitude-like qualities of holiness have a preserving impact on the people around them. Your presence, your presence actually helps to restrain sin to some degree. Now, you may think, well, I'm a nobody and what good am I doing? But you have a great, great influence in your sphere of influence. But before we get to that, let me just say that, that believers sometimes don't realize the impact they're having on society in general. You see the principle of this, for example, in, the, uh, in what the Bible teaches and illustrated in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember, God told Abraham, I'm going to destroy these cities. They're wicked. I'm going to wipe them off the planet. In fact, today, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, we, we're, not even positive, we're not even sure where those cities existed. Somewhere, we think, by the Dead Sea. But they're gone. And that area used to be lush 
It's no longer lush. We were just there. It's real salty and it's real dry and it's real dead. You don't get the term dead sea for nothing. But remember, Abraham said, well, what if I find 50 righteous men? How about 40 righteous men, 30, and down to 10 righteous men? If I can find 10 righteous men in Sodom and Gomorrah, will you preserve the city? And God said, yes, but there were no 10 righteous men. But in principle, had there been, they would have preserved society. They would have been the salt of that world. I think of history. I think of uh, in the 1700s, the French Revolution. Why, why did the French have a revolution but not the English when they had basically the same morals? And it may have been the 1800s, but in that period of time, why did they, why was England spared a revolution when there was, there was a wickedness about that country just as much as France? Well, probably because God raised up a movement with the Wesleys known as the Methodist movement and revival, and and you have George Whitfield and others, and great revival, and churches were born, and people started preaching the gospel that they hadn't preached for years and years, and you have others who came in. God spared that nation because of the, the godliness of believers. But individually, it happens too. It happens in your life. For example, here's how it happens at the grassroots level of our individual lives. When people know that you're a Christian, they tend to clean up their language, don't they? They, they tend to clean up their language when they're around you. They aren't as quick to curse, aren't as quick to blaspheme Christ's name in front of you. Or if they do, they, they tend to keep it to a minimum. And they might even apologize with words like, oh, excuse my French. Words like that. Or when you're around conversations about sex and dirty jokes are usually not said. Or if they're said, they're, they're generally toned down. Now, now, I understand that there are some people who will increase it when we're around just to irritate us. But we're talking about generally speaking. That's, that's the kind of impact that we ought to be having. Your integrity, for example, becomes a sort of moral conscience to those that you work with so that others are less prone to do dishonest things, though it's in their heart to do it but they're less prone to because of you. In this way, you and I become the moral antiseptic to the disease of sin that's, that's all around us. Now, that doesn't, mean, that doesn't mean at all that these people will necessarily become Christians just by the effect that we have upon them. We're not trying to help them get better, but, this, but, but what Jesus is saying is that it will make it more difficult for sinful habits and attitudes to openly manifest themselves among your friends and colleagues just by your godly presence. They know what you stand for. They know who you are. They know that this would not be appreciated by you. And they often tone it down. See, folks, like salt on meat, God intends for his people to curb man's natural tendency to moral decay. That's, that's exactly what the Lord is talking about. You know where this is very clearly illustrated? In the book of, of uh, Revelation, after the church is raptured, you see all hell break loose during the tribulation. Once the church is gone, all hell breaks loose on earth. You see an increased demonic activity. You see evil taking to a new extreme. Why? Because the church is no longer there. That's why. Is it in man's heart to do it now? Sure. Why don't they do it now completely? Why doesn't our society completely fall apart now and deteriorate? Because of the presence of the collective church. Once we're gone, they'll take it to a new level 
of wickedness. But as I said, it also takes place at the grassroots level level of our lives, where we live, where we function as individuals. It, it happens simply by being the kind of disciples we should be. Those who are concerned, and this is the real issue, those who are concerned about personal holiness and godliness. Here's how Kent Hughes describes the kind of impact beatitude-like believers make upon their world. He writes, I believe such Christians exert an, an immeasurable influence on society. Their mere presence reduces crime, restrains ethical corruption, promotes honesty, quickens the conscience, and elevates the general moral atmosphere. The presence of such people in the military, in business, in education, in a fraternity or a sorority will amazingly elevate the level of living, and their absence will allow unbelievable uh, depths of depravity. Believers, salty believers, are the world's preservative. So, the issue is this. How salty are you? How salty are you? What impact do you have around those who you come in contact with? Do others seem to feel free to curse and tell filthy stories while you're around? That you make no difference? They want to tell it? And they want to tell even more. Does your presence not seem to cause anyone in your sphere of influence to think twice about being dishonest, unethical? See, if, if your presence, and we're talking generally now, if your presence is not a natural moral restraint among your friends and colleagues, then it would indicate that there's something terribly wrong, terribly wrong in your testimony, something terribly wrong in your own personal walk with Christ. If people aren't generally ashamed or, or at least embarrassed by their sin when you're around, then there's a deficiency in your life in demonstrating the kind of godly character Jesus spoke about in the Beatitudes. Something is very wrong, either because maybe you have not become a true Christian. You think you are, but you're not or because there are some sins in your life that you have not repented of. And if you haven't done that, then, of course, unbelievers feel quite comfortable around you. They're very comfortable around you because you affirm, you even encourage their sinful behavior by your own sinful behavior. Now, if there is that deficiency in your character so that others... Um, really, by you being with them, they fail to slow down the process of corruption and decay... And quite frankly, you've lost your value as salt. You're still salt, but you're contaminated now. You have, you have no function as salt. You're useless. You're worthless. And that's precisely what Jesus went on to speak about when he addressed the issue of salt becoming tasteless. Look, in, look again at verse 13. After saying, you're the salt of the earth, Jesus said, but if the salt has become tasteless, How can it be made salty again? What a great question. Now, what was he talking about? From the world of chemistry, we know that salt is sodium chloride. And technically speaking, sodium chloride cannot lose its saltiness. It never loses its saltiness. However, when salt is mixed with other minerals, it becomes contaminated. And and then it is absolutely worthless. Contaminated salt is good for nothing. In fact, it can be even dangerous. And this was really a very common occurrence in Christ's day. Much of the salt in Israel was salt taken from the shores of the Dead Sea. Having, having just been there, I can assure you that it is quite salty, very salty. You don't want to have an open wound when you're in the Dead Sea. 
However, sometimes this Dead Sea salt back then became contaminated. Remember, they had no refineries back then. So it often became contaminated by being mixed with gypsum and other minerals. And then not only was it worthless and good for nothing, but it actually lost its salty taste. Didn't have the same taste. It it, it took on a stale taste, a flat taste, an um, alkaline taste. Now that's exactly what Jesus said we're like when as believers we allow sin to contaminate our lives. We're like tasteless, useless salt. But notice, Jesus didn't just speak about contaminated salt. He went on to speak about what happens to tasteless, contaminated salt. What do you do with that salt? Well, that leads us to a second question. Second question that helps us to understand about Christ's words here about salt. First question is, what does it mean to be the salt of the earth? It means that by being a beatitude-type Uh, individual, that you have a hand in preserving the moral decay around you. But the second question that we need to ask is, what is the danger of salt becoming tasteless? What is the danger of salt becoming tasteless? Now, listen very closely. This is important. Notice what Jesus said is done to contaminated salt. He said, it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. What he was referring to was the very common practice in that day amongst Jewish people that when they discovered that salt brought into the, the home was not pure salt, and they would discover this, how would they discover it? Well, all they had to do is use some at the table, and they would taste it, and they'd know immediately that this was contaminated salt. So it's not going to be good for packing meat in. It's not going to be good as a preservative. They had to get rid of that salt. It's good for nothing. But they couldn't just throw it in the garden or the field. Remember I told you that sometimes salt could be used as a fertilizer, but only on certain soils and only in very small quantities. But generally speaking, salt thrown in a garden or in a field would kill it, would kill whatever was planted. So you didn't want to do that. You know what they did? They threw it away. They put it on a path or a dirt road where people would walk on it and gradually... Uh, it would be ground into dirt as individuals just walked on top of it. That's what Jesus was talking about in verse 13. He said, it's no longer good for anything except here's what you do. You throw it out and you trample it underfoot. That's all. That's all you can do with it. Can't even use it in the garden. So what Christ is saying is that just like polluted salt, when we get contaminated with sin and worldliness, we lose our usefulness. We use our, our value. You can't be used by the master anymore. Now, it certainly doesn't mean, and I don't think I need to explain to this crowd a whole lot about this, but it certainly doesn't mean that you lose your salvation, that you're trampled by by God in terms of his wrath. That's impossible. The Bible teaches that for a believer, you are eternally secure because Christ's death can never be taken away from you. It's not based on your behavior. It's a fact. Justification is forever. Jesus said I, in John 10 that my sheep hear my voice. They follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. I don't know how he could have made it any clearer than that. So he's not talking about losing your salvation, but he is talking about losing your effectiveness to influence anyone for purity. He's talking about losing your usefulness. And folks, a worldly Christian is a useless Christian, a useless Christian, just like tasteless salt. We're stale, useless, worthless to the Lord. Reading through the Old Testament prophets, we repeatedly encounter warnings and lament about Israel's coming downfall that would result from their disobedience. In Ezekiel 22:18, the prophet quotes the Lord as saying, 
the house of Israel has become dross to me. They were still God's chosen people, but they made it necessary for God to get their attention. Let's not become worldly Christians and lose the joy of being able to serve Jesus. Pastor Steve Kreloff will have lots more to share on this subject on our next Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. For more about Lakeside, visit lakesidechapel.com or call 727-441-1714. That's 727-441-1714. Or go online to lakesidechapel.com. Verse by Verse is listener-supported radio, and we praise the Lord for the generous listeners who give over and above their Sunday offerings to their own churches to help us keep airing these radio Bible classes. If you'd like to partner with us financially, it's safe and easy to do at our website, versebyverseradio.org. Or call Lakeside at 727-441-1714. We make all of our previous broadcasts available on our website as well. Just click the Message Archive tab near the top of the page at versebyverseradio.org. I'm Jerry Peterson. Thanks for listening today. Over the past two days, we've considered what it means to be salt in the world. We've seen that as Christ followers, we act as a preservative to slow the world's spiritual decay. But Jesus also cautioned us not to lose our saltiness. We are salt, but there is the possibility of not being salty salt. How do we keep our saltiness, our usefulness? Next time on Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve will share three things to keep in mind if we want God to use us. I hope you can join us for that. We are here to give you strength between Sundays. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flynn with in-depth interviews archival footage and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines i just felt like i was drowning flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost available now watch it today go to salemnow.com salemnow.com